it's, I'm still here. Um, I didn't go anywhere. Um, Church, uh, my name is BJ Forgerson, and I have the pleasure of being one of the pastors here on staff. And um, I I ask you to forgive me right now if I'm sweating, because I don't know if you realize this, it's hot. I mean, mean, everywhere. Like, I don't care where you are, it's hot. And I even have a fan on me directly right here, and I don't even know if that'll help. So, like, just preemptively, if you see sweat forming, just have a little bit of grace for me on that one. I, I, I appreciate you already. This is the kind of church family that's very generous and kind in that way. So um, today we're, we're, we're jumping back into this series that's called The Way of Love. And as a means of confessing that um, I'm weird, I'm going to tell you some stories. So just bear with me in this. And and, and I'll, I'll make a point, but um, so in eighth grade, um, I, that, so my mom's really into this thing where she's like taking old VHS tapes and putting them on digital formats and then sending me screenshots. So um, there you go. Thanks, mom. If you're watching, I love you. Yeah. Um, Anyway, she was actually the one pointing the camera at me in this and going, like, just zooming in closer and closer, too. So, like, not only did she embarrass me when I was that age, like, it just happens again, but I, I do this as a means of, like, like painful reflection. But um, so this guy, when he was in eighth grade, which was probably a little bit before this picture was taken, um, was the first time in my life I ever had a girlfriend, Okay. So, and I, sorry, wife, I'm sorry. My, she always boos every time I talk about an old girlfriend. So it's, it's like so predictable. Um, but um, I had three girlfriends, <laughs> thank you, <laughs> during my eighth grade year, and, and <laughs> none of them lasted longer than two to three weeks. Um, and um, here's the embarrassing part. I was in love. I mean, smitten, head over heels, like, this is the best. And then crashing down, because they broke up with me, of course, right? Like, they weren't as in love as I was with them, um, according to my understanding of love. And, like, if you've ever seen those cartoons where, like, somebody gets hit by Cupid's arrow and they're just, like, floating after that, like, hearts in their eyes. That was me. I was just like, puppy love was what I thought. And, and I, I think about this and I go like, why was I so like desperate for, for, to call this thing love in that moment? And, and I realized I had received training, significant training on what I thought love was from the things that were being bombarded with me. And yes, my family, my mom, my, my, my parents, they were, they were very much involved in that. But there was other things that were really speaking into my life. And like, for example, um, this guy was speaking into my life. That's Colin Ray. Um, he had a song that was called One Boy, One Girl, um, which was about the first time you meet somebody and that feeling that you have immediately when you know it's the one. And so that, that was being bombarded in me and like along with all of his other songs that I listened to on repeat because, oh, by the way, 90s country is like on, on repeat up here. It's just, it's just, 
is specifically early 90s, and I'm like, I, I, I can't get it out. Like, nothing will get rid of it. It's there all the time. So um, you might recognize this next person for teaching me how to be the kind of man I need to be. Because any man of hers is going to do a lot of things. And I was like, I'm gonna, I just wrote that down as a checklist. All right. Like, honey, you look just right. Um, like, this, this meal is perfect. Like, I was like writing it down. That was a check. That's what love was, right? Or, or maybe some of you, it's a little bit deeper of a cut. It's, you know, uh, life is a dance that you learn as you go. John Michael Montgomery, or this is probably the more famous one right here. You know, he had a song on this CD that was unanswered prayers, all right? And, and, and I was like, oh, even if I get broke up with three times in one year, that's God not answering the prayer. So I was living it out. But not only was the music telling me what love was, I also had a, a few other things telling me what love was, which was TGIF. TGIF told me what love was. Like, I, I would be watching Family Matters. And let me tell you, Carl Winslow was a phenomenal dad, and, and sometimes he was a good husband, but he was, he was a smart man, and he was also a really good cop and diehard. So, um... um you know, Steve Urkel aside, Family Matters was, showed me how to interact in a loving relationship. And then maybe it was more kind of a, it was a little bit more personal, but um, this next show on TGIF was called Step by Step. And I learned how, how to interact as a part of a, a, a like I had a step parent and, and I had step family. And so like we were learning how to interact. And so I would learn my lessons through that, but there was probably one that stuck out even more. The one that really attached my heart, Zach Morris and Kelly Kapowski. Um, and I know for many of you, this is like, how old is this guy right now? You're just, you're just going, how old is this guy? Well, I'm that years old, okay? Um, I am when Kelly broke up with Zach. I didn't know I could feel that depth of pain, all right? It was bad. I didn't, know inter I didn't know fiction could do that to a person. Like, I didn't know that was a, like actually a thing. But what I'm getting at in all of these things is that, and I'm, and I'm telling you this as an embarrassment to me. Please get rid of that off the screen. I can't look at it anymore. There, thank you. Um, as an embarrassment to me, I'm letting you know these things because I think it's true that we can be bombarded with what the world says love is and what it's supposed to be when we actually miss what the true meaning is. And so, like, I've been trying to understand, like, hey, have, have things changed and have things gotten better? Have they gotten worse? Like, and so, like, I was looking for information on just, like, we've got so many resources now that you can find stories of, of like, anything on YouTube, Instagram, articles. They're, they're out there. But I had a really hard time finding a study about just trying to hear what, what do people think or how would they define love. But there was this one article from like four years ago, and I'm telling you, this is like the only one where they asked the question, and the question was asked, how would you define love? Like, how would you define it? And so here, here is, it's a completely random assortment of people, and, and, and they were asking for this, and, and I'm just going to kind of like, 
give you some of the answers that were thrown in there. And it says, love is, is that feeling in the pit of your stomach when you don't know if you want to throw up or fall into a fit of happy tears. Okay. But then there's another person that says, love is the comforting, warm sensation you get from good wine, hearing the opening chords of your favorite song, sinking into a hug and curling up on a couch or eating a really good meal. So it's either throwing up or eating a good meal. Like, like I mean, it's like people are grasping for what sense of love is out there. There's another one that says, love is the complete freedom to be yourself and express the quirky, dark, beautiful sides of your nature. And then there's the other one that says, love is someone willing to notice all the things that bother me and make me feel good, not discount them, and then alter their behavior accordingly. So, somebody says freedom, somebody says change, (laughs) you know? Then the next one is love means enthusiastically answering my many, many questions with an unexpected level of depth. And then the next one says, love means I don't feel pressured to add haha or LOL to the end of every text statement. There were so many others that were in there, but it shows people just grasping for this understanding. And so why do we need to look at what the scriptures say about love and, and how we are called to live and operate within that is because the world sends confusing, mixed messages that don't actually produce the thing that we are all craving. And so as we looked at all of these, I'm just reminded how important it was that that Pastor Chad kicked us off last week as as we looked at 1 Corinthians 13 and and, and that famous passage that is there. And and he he kind of led us through um, uh, what the context of that was, that it's written to the church and helping them understand that it's it's not about just a uh, operating only in gifts and, and doing the thing that you're, you're supposed to do. It's, it's how you interact with one another. And, and, and it got to this point where it's uh, in verse 4 of 1 Corinthians 13. It says, love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. It is not boastful. It is not arrogant. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not irritable. It does not keep a record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And today, I'm continuing in the message that that we started last week. And we're really going to highlight these two words that are right there at the beginning of verse 4. That says, love is patient and love is kind. But we have to, you know, remember where love first came from. and, and, And we went to... First John chapter 4, and, and Chad helped us see the core of what love is in verse 10. And it says, love consists of this. Not that we loved God, not that we pursued after God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an, a, to be an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And then we move on and we, 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 we think about 1 Corinthians 13. And what's the, what's the first thing that comes to mind when, when, I, when you hear 1 Corinthians 13? Wedding, like when, that's like the most famous thing that is read at a wedding. It's a beautifully written, like 
group of, of, of verses, and it, it highlights something that we crave, but when we attach it to the context of a romantic relationship, we're actually forgetting who it's written to. You see, it's, it's written to the church. It's written to us. It's, it's not an invitation for how a husband and wife are to love one another. It's an invitation for how we are to engage with one another. And so if we are the church and supposed to do this, we have to, we have to dig a little deeper and, and like let's, let's look a little deeper in, in how the church loves one another. And, and you can go into John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35, and it'll say this. It says, I give you a new command, love one another just as I have loved you. You are to love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples by the way you love one another. And then it goes on a little bit later by, by, by talking about what we need to grasp. As if we're going to keep going and, and, and keep talking about this concept of patience, we have to see this, this other aspect of love right here that goes on in John 15, verse 12 and 13. And it says this, this is my command. Love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, to lay down his life for his friend. Church, when we're talking about love, like we're not talking about the romanticized TGIF, um, just the, the, the pop culture music driving version of love. We are talking about something deeper. And I want you to know in all of the 31 things that people said about love, Nowhere in that did I see sacrifice or I see patience. Nowhere in what somebody would describe as love did I see those two. And so to gain an accurate understanding of God's definition of love, we have to remember that God is the originator, that we, the church, are called to love one another, that, that by loving one another, we will be moving the mission of Jesus Christ forward and that it will require us to lay down our lives for other people. That is the concept. And, and I have to remember all of these things. I have to live this, like I have to remember all these things because if I forget that it's from God, then how could I possibly live that out in my life in, in this kind of way? And I have to remember, especially this week, because Brandon gave me the joyful topic of talking about patience. So thanks, Brandon. Really appreciate it. Sorry, that's, that's between me and him. You guys got to be a part of that. <laughs> I dig that. Thank you so much. Um, you, know, you know when that cliche, that Christian cliche that says, like, you know, if you ask God for patience, he doesn't actually give you uh, patience. He, he gives you the opportunity to be patient. Same thing happens on the week that you're supposed to preach about patience. Just FYI. It was, it, it was not a crazy week, but it was a convicting week. And I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes when you hear the word patience, don't you just get a little annoyed? Which is kind of, hey, just be patient. <laughs> Fine. Like, 
that's just like the, the gut check in me of how my heart is turned towards this concept. And so let's jump back in. We, we read 1 Corinthians 13, uh, 4 through 8, love is patient, love is kind, does not envy, and, and all those things. And, and then I want to I hit verse 7 again. It says, it bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Church, I, I want to do some reflecting just for a moment. I, w- I want you to do some reflecting. And like honestly think about this. When you hear this verse, patient, kind, does not envy, not boastful, not self-seeking, not arrogant, bears all things, believes all things. When you hear those, has that been your experience with church? Has that been what you would see in, in your participation in community? And as you look at these words, is, is this something that you feel a, a personal and deep conviction to say, this is my responsibility to live that out within the church? Because, friends, a church is not a building, it's a people. We are invited to love and live like this today. So, so as we move forward with, with this series and, 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 and ask the question and, and think about the way of love, I want you to just be, be putting a, 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 these questions on repeat in your mind. Do I see God's love for me? Do I recognize God's love for me? Like, let's just start with that question. Because if we can't answer that question, nothing else is going to be, be important. The second one is, do I receive God's love through Jesus Christ? Have I received it? Have I internalized it? Is it something that, that, that is a part of my life? Three, how do I participate in living this out within my own heart? How do I let the love that I receive from Christ change me right here? How do I participate in living this out in the love I show to my church? And then how do I live this out in the love that I display to my community? As we are moving forward in these, I want us to be dwelling on these questions. And so I, I really had to dig into this concept of, of patience this last week. And, and like I, I have like one of my favorite parts of preaching is the like studying part. Like this is not my favorite part of preaching. Like my favorite part of preaching is like the, the stuff that happened earlier and then like learning and, and what God's doing in my own heart here. Like the, what, anyway, that's not important. The, the, I'm getting selfish on that one, so sorry. But through my study, I got really excited and I started just running down these rabbit holes of like trying to understand the, the biblical concept of patience. And what I found is that there's kind of like four pillars that help us to know what the Bible means when, when describing the concept of patience. And, and it, it goes from a, a place of um, different words are kind of uh, exchanged in there. And one of them is patience or, or, or patient. The other one is long suffering, which is an amazing word that we probably need to bring back 
Like, I, I just feel like that's an old word that we could bring back into common vernacular, even though it's a long word. Like it's, it's long-suffering to just say that word even. Like, so, so there's long-suffering, enduring. Endurance is one of them. And, and then, but it, there's also steadfast. And, and, and consistent can come in there and that. And so, like, some of those words, like, if you look at them throughout the scriptures, they all have this same concept of patience. And, and, and some of those words are interchangeable with the words they have in the Greek and in the Hebrew. But what I found is that in these four contexts, they're, they're, these four pillars on patience, is that it kind of hinges you can't take one of these away and it still be the same thing. It, it, it's like all of them together develop this, this concept of patience. And, and so this is what I found. It, the first one is patience in, in hopefulness, in like hopeful anticipation. And it's like knowing what's on the other side. When we think about patience and hopefulness, we're, we're being able to see what's ahead. And, and we think about Colossians chapter 1, what it says, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to God the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints, right? So we, we think about that as it's like, it's, it's reminding us that we have an inheritance with the saints. And, and so we patiently wait for that day in hopefulness that, that it will come, all right? So that's, that's one concept of it. The second one is that, that we have patience in, in knowing the path ahead, Patience in, in knowing the direction that we are supposed to go. And, and this is kind of like a faithful resolve to, to move into that, to, to take steps into whatever's next. It's, it's, a, uh, it's a committed belief, a follow-through. And we see that more in kind of like how Jesus approached it. And in 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 5 says, May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of of Christ. Steadfastness is the, the concept of patience right there that, that he moved forward, that he remained faithful to the plan that was laid out. And the next one is patience, but patience in the midst of injustice. It's a steadfastness through obstacles. And we seeing injustice in the world and desiring, aching for change, aching for it to be different and, and almost like not, not being able to make a change in that, but like the longing for the change. And so we see that in Psalms, uh, in Psalm 37, uh, verse 7, it says, Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil desi- uh, devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil, for the evildoers shall be cut off, and those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. This this waiting patiently in the midst of of injustice happening around us, there's something that's a longing of our heart to want to see that change. And then there's this one which we can all wrestle with. It's patience in the, the long-suffering, the, the endurance, the, the steadfastness through difficulty and pain. And this is what we personally experience in, in certain seasons or throughout our life or through our situations or whatever hardship might be there. But in Romans 5, it talks about 
what happens within these contexts of, of suffering. And it says not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, this patience that is there. And the endurance produces character and character produces hope. This is the concept of, of enduring through great hardship. There is there's an, an intriguing thing happened when I looked all over the scriptures for this. I, um, <laughs> I, I came to the conclusion, I was like, patience is hoping for what is ahead, right? Like, it's, it's believing in God's plan, it, it, that, that his plan is worth it. It's, it's like patience in bearing through the obstacles and the difficulties that are around me, and it's, it's patience in, in enduring through pain. And, and then I go on and read verse 7, and if I would have just looked there, verse 7 says, it bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Like the answer to the question that I was looking for was right there in the verse. And, and, and it was shocking to me because of this. I didn't realize how vital Paul was talking about the concept of patience when it comes to love. When it comes to love. Because patience, at the core root of it, is, is over time, over seasons of time, bearing with one another, uh, bearing through all things, believing through all things, and hoping through all things, and enduring through all things. It's a, it's a time with all of these together. And I didn't realize how big of a role that played in love. And that was surprising to me this week. And so as I was praying and asking God to show me where's the spot that we can really like see this and, 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 and try to gain... Um, gain some, some steps for us as a church to be able to live this way, I was led to, to James chapter 5. And if, if you wanted to open up to something, and we're going to stay here for a little bit, and, and this is going to be where we're kind of uh, resting for a while. But uh, James chapter 5, verses 7 through the end of the chapter, we're not going to cover all of it, but I want to invite you guys in to be looking at this passage as it talks about patience. Patience specifically. And so it says this in, in, in verses 7 and 8. It says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, be patient until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth and is patient with it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also must be patient. Strengthen your hearts because the Lord's coming is near. And I think in this, there's, the, there's two things. We see, we see patience in hope in hope of what, what is ahead, and we see patience in believing God's plan. And, and, and this is a promise for us to receive as a believer because I, I don't know much about farming, but I know my friend Melody knows a lot about farming. Like, is, like when you plant, do you do nothing, or, or is there things that still happen? There's lots of things that still happen. Because I don't know if you were like me, but like, I was, I was under the impression that patience had to do with, like, I just need to wait. Do nothing. Right? But there is this hope that when the, when the crop is produced, 
when the, when, when, when the hope is fulfilled and what is on the other end, like that knowledge of knowing that is driving me, is moving me, is pushing me to act in accordance to the plan that God has laid out. That we see here just the, the analogy of of the, the farmer as he waits for the fruit from the earth and is patient with it until he receives the early and the late rains when he might want to, to, to take a harvest soon, but if he does that, then it, then it cuts his reward. He, it cuts what he could have, and, and it's, it's impatience to take the early one. And he waits till the late rains, and it produces the fruit which is not only a reward, but it's his very livelihood. You see, a farmer tills and plants and waters and cultivates and prunes and works the field, and he patiently waits for the produce to arrive. You see, at the core of this concept of patience, we think about what's ahead, and we think about what God has invited us into because of Jesus, and, and, and here's the core of patience, knowing what we have when we have Jesus in our life. When we know what we have when Jesus is in our life, we, we have a hope in, in the reward that's over there. Knowing that he rescued us from the depths of hell and death, knowing that he has clothed us with his righteousness, though we didn't deserve it knowing that he has gone before us and he has prepared a place for us, knowing that he will return and take us back to his perfect presence and knowing that we are invited into this and knowing that this life that we live right now is just a, when we think about eternity. Let me give you an example of, of how I see this and, and play out practically when we understand what we get, when we truly understand what we get, it changes us and makes us willing to, to deal with stuff that we might not normally deal with because of the joy of what's over there. And I don't know about you, did anybody here grow up like going to like Six Flags? Six Flags, right? Like roller coasters, rides, things like that. Okay, here it is. I, as soon as I found out we were going to Six Flags, like, man, yes, ma'am, yes, sir, whatever you want, I'm doing it. Like, I, it was my favorite place. It was, it was a joy. And here's the thing. Six Flags is open from 11 o'clock a.m. to 9 p.m. That's 10 hours, okay? On a good day, on a good day, you will get 16 minutes of fun. On a good day at Six Flags, you will get 16 minutes of pure joy. And you will have eight hours of standing in hot lines near people you don't want to talk to. Well, maybe, I don't know. When I was growing up, you didn't even have cell phones. Like, you were just there. And when somebody told me I had to, I was getting to go to Six Flags, didn't even enter my mind. 
all I was thinking, 16 minutes of pure joy. I was like, hands up, screaming, roller coaster riding. That is pure joy. 16 minutes is absolutely nothing compared to an eternity in the presence of the God that can fill all of our needs. The God that has more than we could ever ask or think or imagine can pour out goodness in greater and greater measure through eternity. And there is not going to be one ounce of disappointment or boredom or uncomfortableness in the presence of God. And that is what we're invited to when we have Jesus. That is the hope that we have, that we say, I am patience, knowing that that is on the other side. So that's one pillar of the four pillars of patience. James uh, chapter 5, verse 9 and 10 goes on. It says, brothers and sisters, do not complain about one another so that you will not be judged. Look, the judge stands at the door. Brothers and sisters, take the prophets who spoke the Lord's name as a, an example of suffering and patience. See, we count as blessed those who have endured. And we see those words again, suffering and patience and, and enduring and, and, and we think about what happened with these, with these um, prophets. Like they went and they proclaimed God's word to God's people. And they were saying, this, this will bring you to the presence of God. And in the midst of proclaiming God's goodness, people rejected them. They, they ignored them at best. And, and they even killed them. And, and injustice was happening to these people that were following the will of God. And it says, we count those as blessed because patience is bearing through injustice. And you see, when we see injustice in the world, we are called to act. But many times, our actions in those moments are at best unloving, and many times just outright selfish. And I can give you an example from this week as I was studying about patience. Um, so uh, I don't know if you've ever been to this place called Chick-fil-A. They have very good pre-baptized chicken over there. And um, uh, I was taking a break and going and getting uh, some, uh, uh, it was breakfast actually. And um, I'm, I'm in line. And I don't know if you know the rule that um, when... When, when you're in a double line and one person from another line goes, then you, you allow the next, the person in the other line to go. It's called the zipper method. Um, it's pretty common. Uh, I think most people know that, right? Yeah, good. Oh, thank you for your nodding of heads. Um, so uh, the, the person in the lane next to me um, didn't agree with that method. Um, and um, I happen to have a very large and uh, manly truck. Um, sorry, Chad. Sorry, Chad. Um, you might be of one accord, but, uh, but I can pick up my cross daily. Just, 
Boom, dad joke. You, if we had a, oh man, I, I knew it was bad, but I was like, it's still a good dad joke. Uh, there you are. I see you over there. I thought you were over there for a second, but. So I was not going to allow this person to get in front of me. And I'm just like creeping my monster truck up right there next to their little hatchback. And um, I was like, am I going to run over this car? Like, and, 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 and as I'm reflecting on that, I'm going, at, at best, I thought I was standing up for, for justice. <laughs> at best. Like, at worst, I was waiting another, like, 30 seconds for, for getting my chicken sandwich. That was it. But yet I felt compelled that I had to act on, on this. And in reflection, they're like, this lady wasn't sinning. There's actually no written law or rule that says that you have to do it. It's like a social agreement that we've all kind of said yes to, but it's not out there. And, like... I could have patiently waited and be like, sure, go ahead. But there was something in me that was impatient, that, that didn't trust God in that moment to enact justice. And I felt like I had to be the hammer. And that was convicting for me. And the next one here is the hardest one, and it says, you have heard of Job's endurance, and you have seen the outcome of what the Lord brought about. And then it says this crazy phrase, the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Anybody ever read the book of Job? Is the first thing that you think in the first couple chapters like, hey, God, you're compassionate and merciful. I'm just going to go a quick overview of what happened in this first couple of chapters of Job. Um, God says to Satan, hey, have you thought about my buddy Job? And Satan's like, well, let me take away all his stuff and he's going to curse you. God's like, cool, go do it. Goes down there, takes all of his possessions, all of his kids are killed. Seven sons, three daughters, servants killed. Job 1, 20 through 22 says this. And when Job heard this, he, he stood up, he tore his robe, he shaved his head, he fell to the ground and he worshiped. Saying, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will leave this life. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Throughout all this, Job did not sin or blame God for anything. Compassionate and merciful. Later, Satan comes to God again. and God's kind of like throwing it back in Satan's face like, so where, I didn't hear no cursing. So uh, what up? He's like, yeah, but you didn't let me affect him. If you just, if you let me go after him, then, then he'll curse you. He's like, go after him. Just can't kill him. And I love the fact that God like 
established, like he's like, sit, stay. Like, I mean, he's like, like a dog. He's treating, like he is in control there. And yet he still sins after. And so then Satan afflicts him with this disease that has painful sores from the bottom of his feet to the top of his head. So much so that he's sitting in, in, in ashes, in, in the crumbles of his life. And he's taken broken pottery. And he's, for some sense of comfort, I guess, he's scraping off these painful sores from his body. And, and his wife, on top of this, comes to him. And, and I could just hear it in like this like pitiful, like naggy kind of tone for some reason. It's like, are you still holding on to your integrity? Just curse God and die. And Job responded, should we accept only good from God and not adversity? So James is here telling the readers in this church, the people that are, he, he's, he's encouraging to live with patience. He's saying, hey, this, this guy, Job, you know, the guy that lost all of his possessions, the guy who lost 10 kids in one day, the guy who got this horrible diagnosis and that gave him pain all day long, and the, the guy who had friends and a wife that was just like saying, just, just end it. That's the one that we are to be encouraged by. But they knew the end of the story. They, 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 they read the end of the story of Job and they see that, that God had restored Jacob and that Job remained faithful through that and never doubted God's goodness, never questioned God's control. And Job's patience was commended and God restored Job. You see, suffering is hard, but nobody can have a trump card on, on what Job went through. Like, it's, the, it's the worst example. It's the worst of the worst. It's personal pain and suffering. It's possessions being taken away unjustly. It's, it's children dying. It's, yet Job remembered the goodness of God. And here's the thing. Here's the reality. There are people in this room right now that experience suffering similar to that. There are people that have had to deal with things that I could never understand or walk through. The loss of a child, the loss of a spouse, the loss of a parent. I've been in hospital rooms. I've been at hospitals after someone died and had to talk to the kids. I've had to do the funeral for a six-month-old, and it wrecked me. And what I have found in those that have had those horrible diagnoses and experienced those horrible griefs that I've, I've never seen more lived out, Romans 5, that says suffering produces patient, hopeful endurance. I, I don't know how to walk through a season like that. I don't, I, don't, I don't know how to pastor 
through a season like that. But what I see here in the rest of this chapter is what gives me a, a little bit of a roadmap of how this church can learn how to love one another well. And it goes on in, in verse 12, and it says, Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear by, either by heaven or earth or by any other oath, but let your yes mean yes and your no mean yo, no, so that you won't fall under judgment. And then it goes on in 13, it says, is anyone among you suffering? He should pray. Is anyone cheerful? He should sing praises. Is any one of you sick? He should call for the elders of the church and there to come pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith will save the sick person and the Lord will raise him up. If he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. You see, over and over and over again in this passage, in, in this passage, you see brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters. It's talking to the community of people. And it says one another, one another, one another. And it says we, we endure with one another. We bear with one another. We hope with one another. We believe with one another. You see, in verse 12, it, it says, be honest with your brothers and sisters. Go to them and share with them the areas in which you were suffering and you were dealing with impatience. In verse 13, it, it invites you to encourage prayer. Prayer is the constant reminder that we are not in control and that God is in control. In verse 13, it also says encourage worship and worship together. That we are to invite one another to, to walk through patiently and to look ahead in hope with worship. In verse 14, it says, invite the church to walk with you through suffering by inviting prayer, inviting the church leaders, inviting your small group, invite people to walk with you through the suffering that you're going through. In verse 16, goes to a spiritual level and says, confess your sins one to another. And then you can pray for the church, you can pray for others, you can pray for perseverance, you can pray for patience. See, these are the loving acts of hopeful endurance that come out of kindness. The passage concludes in, in 19 and 20, and it again says, Brothers and sisters, if any among you stray from the truth and someone turns him back, let that person know that whoever turns a sinner from the error of his ways will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. You see, in kindness, in patience, knowing that we are not in control, knowing that I can't change somebody else's heart, knowing that I can't help somebody that's running away from God, I can't, I can't make them turn around. But knowing that only God has the power to do that, he is inviting us to patiently run after those that are far from him. And I know there are people in your life, there are people in my life who right now are running away from God. And, and there might be the tendency to think that, 
that they won't turn, that they can't possibly be saved. But the invitation is there again to love them by patiently waiting and enduring and trusting God's plan that he is in control and his plan is far better than us taking control. See, God's patience is clearly seen in 2 Peter 3, 9. It says, the Lord does not delay in his promise as some understand delay, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. There is a hopefulness in God's patience. And this last week when I was talking about, like, it was... It was a kindness of the Lord because I was reminded of the commands, the commands that are found in John chapter 13 and John chapter uh, uh, 15. There's a new command I give you to love one another. And the ways that I lost my patience this week, the ways that I saw myself saying, I want to be in control, not you. I was rejecting God's plan and saying, I want to be God. And it was God's kindness to convict me in those areas. Convict me in a way that was showing me that I was experiencing God's patience in that moment. That I'm experiencing God's patience right now. That God does not act towards me in a way that I deserve because I don't deserve anything other than death and hell. That is, that is the result of the actions of my life. But, but it is only through his patience and kindness and graciousness and goodness that he has offered all of us that gift that I talked about earlier that we can be in the presence of the living God forever with every joy satisfied and met throughout all eternity in increasing measure. We get to receive that. And it is out of that church that we bear with one another, that we love one another, that we endure with one another, and that we hope with one another. And so for those of you who really love practical, like tangible invites, like just like, like this, yeah, we could, you can write these down. Like this is, this is, this is what I'm concluding with right here. And they're all going to start with R too. So that'll help you out, right? because I came from a Baptist church. Um, The first thing that we do as we are trying to live as a church that wants to love others, as love is patient, love is kind, is this. One, receive the gift of God's patience and his kindness towards us, that we receive his gift. Two, that we remember the promises of God and the gift that we have already 
that we remember as, as believers, if we have already received it, that we remember his promises. Three, that we repent for the times that we have failed to love God and love others with this kind of kindness and patience. Receive the gift of God. We remember his promises. We repent for the times that we have failed. And four is that we remind one another over and over and over again. That we tell one another of those promises. That we speak it. That we live it. That we encourage it. That we go to somebody and say, hey, how are you seeing God's promises lived out in your life? That we remind one another over and over of that. And then fifth, that we run towards your brothers and sisters. And I see this in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1, and it says this, Therefore, since we have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so eagerly, e eagerly, easily ensnares us. And here it is, let us run with endurance, patient, hopeful endurance, the race that lies before us. Us, we run towards brothers and sisters in their suffering, in their discontentment, in the areas that they struggle, in the areas that they're hurting, in the areas that they are needing comfort. We run towards one another. And why do we do that? Finally, because we remain focused on the one who gives us hope. Because the very next verse in Hebrews chapter 12 says, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith, for the joy that laid before him, he what? Endured the cross despising his shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Receive the gift. Remember the promises. Repent for the times we failed. Remind one another of those promises. Run towards one another. Remain focused on the one who gives us hope. Let's pray. Father, we desperately, desperately need you. Lord, because apart from you, there is no hope. Apart from you, there, there is no thing to be patient for. You are our sole focus. In responding to the love that you have for us, Lord, we desire to live a life that is obedient to you and we will love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and we will seek to love our neighbor as ourself. Lord, and as you have called the church and you have called Austin Oaks Church, Lord, we will love one another with patience. We will love one another with kindness. Lord, and I'm asking you to make that a reality here as we bear through all things, as we believe through all things, as we hope through all things, and Lord, as we endure through all things.
Lord, would you be our sole focus? We pray all these things in your name. Amen.